Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21. We finished uh, uh, Acts 20 last week, and we're just going to continue on through the Bible. Uh, I have to say, uh, if you are a new listener, sometimes you hear pauses, uh, long pauses. The reason why is because I have to drink uh, hot tea. Uh, because my voice is uh, pretty messed up. So in your prayer time, please pray for my voice that I can continue to uh, uh, teach uh, clearly with uh, with no pain. So uh, that's the reason for these pauses. You hear me, I take a sip of tea. Um, uh, so in Acts 21, I have to tell you, Acts 21, it's a difficult chapter. You know, the, from 21 on, it's difficult to study and go through and, and, and read through. The reason why is because you start to see Things take a difficult turn for Paul. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful brother Paul. I'm so in love with him. And I just, you know, it's like sometimes you read the Bible, you fall in love with certain people. And then it's like, man, when, when something bad happens to them, it hurts. It's painful to read. And that's how I feel with, with this particular chapter. And, and not just this chapter, the, the oncoming chapters as well. Kind of like... I mean, you, you know, you love the entirety of Scripture, but there's just certain passages that are devastating you know for example like when Moses he's on the top of the mountain you know and he's you know he's not at the bottom but you know he's kind of like at the peak you know from the middle up somewhere in there and there's a cloud and he's having intimacy with the Lord and the Lord is giving him these uh, uh, blueprints for what to do with the camp of Israel and then when Moses leaves the cloud he picks up Joshua and him and Joshua go down and the elders are gone the elders aren't there where they left them Aaron's not there with his sons, uh, and then they continue going down, and what do they see? The golden calf, you know, and there's passages like this where it's like, it just kills me, it breaks my heart, you know, and that's how I feel kind of with with uh, 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 with uh, uh, Acts 21, because it's so, it's just painful, and so let's see what happens here in verse 1, Acts 21, verse 1. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail. Remember, in chapter 20 is like ministry meeting. You know, they're in the first part of chapter 20. They're in the upper room and Paul is exhorting uh, 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 church ministry leaders. And then the last part of chapter 20, it's to elders, the elders of Ephesus. And they're not in Ephesus. Paul bypassed Ephesus. And it's an exhortation to church, to, to, to church leaders, ministry leaders. But then the last part of chapter 20, it's to elders. The elders of Ephesus in Miletus. He called for them. He said, hey guys, you know, I want to talk to you. Come meet me over here in Miletus. And that's where we ended last week. And it says, and they set sail. Uh, uh, running a straight course, we came to Kos. The following day to Rhodes. And from there to Patara. So what they're doing is they're heading east. They're heading east, and they're on their way to Jerusalem, you know. And, you know, a lot of these chapters uh, from here on, uh, they almost read like uh, journal entries. Remember Dr. Luke. Uh, the book of Acts is written by Dr. Luke. And so you see this. It's, it's almost like a journal entry because there's not much to, uh, uh, you know, like in the epistles. I mean, we could take a verse and just blow it up. You know, and, and, and go for hours on a couple of verses. But, you know, in these passages, we can still go for hours on several verses, but it, it almost reads like a journal entry, you know, of what's happening. And I love it because it's, it's like a historical account of what's happening. And so they, a straight course, we came to close the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara in verse two. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, 
we went aboard and set sail. So they, it, what, what it says that they had to uh, uh, like change ships. You know, remember we got we're so spoiled now. You know, we're so spoiled now. We have our smartphones. We have our you know all these devices. But you know, you have your smartphone and you want to go on vacation. You set your budget. You know, and you don't even have to say where you are because GPS it already knows where you are. And you just say, you know, I want to take a trip. I got, you know, $500 and I want to take a trip from point A to point B. And it'll tell you for $500, you can go, you, you know, you got to stay at this, this hotel. And, you know, on the way there, uh, you can stay at this hotel. Like, you know, and here's where you can go eat everything. It's just like you hit a button and then boom, it just all, all populates, you know, and then it'll even give you directions. So when you get in your car, it'll tell you, you know, okay, go here, go here. It's so we're so spoiled now, but back then you kind of had to schmooze a little bit, you know, like, are, are you going over here? Can I hitch a ride with you? Can I jump on board? And I shouldn't say schmooze, but you know, you see the favor of the Lord, you know, how doors are opening. Mind you that Paul was also in business. He had contact with business people such as Lydia, what we read in, in chapter 16, beautiful, beautiful Lydia. He has all these connections. And then at the same time, you know, maybe he bought a a fabric, you know, making a tent and he bought a certain fabric. And then so he'd go and say, hey, you know, I bought this fabric from you a couple weeks ago. Can I hitch a ride with you? It's so beautiful to see this because you see God's favor. You see like Dr. Luke, how he would go and arrange a boat ride. And then like certain disciples, certain of of the uh, of the people that were with Paul, they would have to arrange certain things. And that's what you see here. And so in in verse 2, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. In verse 3, when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And so when I say it reads like a journal entry, when you look at maps, in the back of your Bible, you might have a map. But when you when you look at it and you follow along on the coast and you can see all these places, Cyprus, you know, and it says here we passed it on the left on the left. So you could see kind of like their their uh, uh, their path that they were on the boat, you know, on the ship. And so look what happens here in verse four and finding disciples. We stayed there seven days. So they're entire. So right now, geographically speaking, they're about 100 miles north of Jerusalem entire. And they meet up with some disciples that were there. And look what happens in verse 4. It says, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So remember, they're on their way to Jerusalem. But they told Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. So what's happening here? You know, you, you know, mockers. You know, people who you know, they say, oh yeah, the Bible's so full of contradictions. Number one, the Bible has zero contradictions. Whenever somebody tells you that the Bible has contradictions, you know what they're revealing to you? That their life is a contradiction to the Word of God and also to the will of the Lord. A lot of times, you know, I used to think that the Bible, it was so full of contradictions. You know what happened? I started to read it. Then I realized, wow, there are no contradictions. A lot of times people say, oh yeah, it's so full of contradictions because they just believe what they hear from other people instead of going to the source. And they make up all these assumptions. But there are no contradictions in the Holy Word of God. Zero. The contradiction is the person that says there's contradictions. In their life that does not align with the Word of God, nor the will of the Lord. 
You see, it's so beautiful how the Lord works and teaches us these things. And you can use that as a tool to go fishing. Because somebody says, you know, the Bible's so full of contradictions. No, it's not. Tell me where there's a contradiction. Sometimes they can't show you a contradiction. But then they might say, well, you know, it says that, you know, that, you know, Paul is going to Jerusalem and, you know, the, the spirit is saying, don't go to Jerusalem. So Paul is disobedient. That's what the mocker would say. And you can say, no, 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 no. Let's study this more. Let's open the Bible. Let's study this and read this more. Because, you know, what you could do you could win a soul for Christ. Being obedient and, you know, making disciples, not making converts. Converts reduces the gospel to like a mere sales pitch. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God unto salvation. And Satan knows he's going to burn in hell in the lake of fire. He knows it. And what he wants to do is he wants to take people with him. That's what he wants to do. And for you, don't let him do that in your life. And then for others around you, don't let him do it in those around you. Be a fisherman. Be wise. And so look what happens here. So the Spirit, these disciples, they tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit. In verse 5, it says, When we had come to the end of those days, remember, seven days they spent in verse 4, says seven days. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they accompanied us with wives and children. And it's so beautiful because, you know, you see these disciples, you know, and they're meeting together. But then at the same time, it's like, wow, you see their wives, their kids, maybe the wife's carrying a son, wife carrying a daughter, you know, a little girl in tow, holding hands, you know, and just walking along. And it's so beautiful because, you know, what you see here, families in Christ. Families in Christ. And so it says the wives and children accompanied us, accompanied this, this entourage of beautiful, beautiful people, male, female, little kids too, Christians, Christians, the early church. It says till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. So they're like a little beach walk, a little beach walk. Remember, they just left the elders of Ephesus. They just left the elders in Ephesus, what we studied in chapter 20. And here they're kneeling down and they're praying some more. And it's so beautiful how the Lord is like, you know, the disciples here, like on their way. They're not just, you know, like going from point A to point P to, to, to Jerusalem. But they're having like little stops. And at the, along the way on these little stops, they're comforting the church, comforting Christians. And at the same time, they're also receiving comfort. You know, the manifold grace of God. The body being one. It's so beautiful. And it says here in verse uh, 6, When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. Notice the first person here, we boarded the ship. So Dr. Luke is, is present with them. There's other passages like in the early chapters of, chapter, uh, uh, of the book of Acts where it's uh, third person. You know, it's like, you know, they did this, or they did that, or this happened over here, and they did that. But then when you see the we, then you know that uh, uh, Dr. Luke is with them. Dr. Luke has joined up with them. And that's what's happening here. Dr. Luke is with them. It says, and we had taken our leave of one another. We boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais. 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 It says, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. 
one day. And I love this counting of days. And I'll make mention of that in a little bit. All this counting of days, seven days, one day. In verse 8, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. And so they're getting closer to Jerusalem. If you go to the back of your Bible, if you have it in the back of your Bible, look at the maps. You can see the outline. You can see the, the route they take. You can see these towns. And they're getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It says in verse 8, And entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Do you remember Philip? Beautiful, beautiful Philip. In chapter 8, we see the uh, exploits of Philip unto the Lord, his obedience unto the Lord. And what do you see? You see that he's an evangelist, but he goes in, you know, in Samaria. He goes and preaches the good news, and many people come to Christ in, in uh, chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And then also in chapter 8, you see the Ethiopian eunuch who was, to, who was baptized in the Lord. And it's so beautiful because you see in, in Acts 8, then all of a sudden after Acts 8, there's like no mention of Philip until right here in Acts 21. And you see his fidelity unto the Lord. Faithful. Faithful. He doesn't, he doesn't go to Caesarea and, you know, do anything crazy. He's faithful unto the Lord. And that's what's so cool. What an encouragement for our lives today, for our walks with Christ. You know, it's like you know, to stay obedient, remain obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lord is doing a mighty work inside of you. If you let Him, allow Him to do the work inside of you. What is the ministry? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. Pray for one another. Pray for uh, the people around you. You know, make your prayers and petitions known before the Lord. And here you have beautiful Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. Remember in, in, in chapter 6 of the book of Acts, how there was this problem that arose in the church, how there were some uh, uh, women uh, who were being uh, uh, omitted from, you know, certain uh, uh, blessings in the church. And they said to the apostles, they said, oh, there's this problem. So, you know, we need to be addressed. Can you guys work? Can you guys serve at the tables? And the apostle says, no, we're not going to leave the word of God. Can you imagine a pastor saying that? Can you imagine a, a Bible teacher or an evangelist saying that? Somebody says, hey, there's this need that's in the church. And the pastor says, I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to serve at the table tables. He's like, well, how mean that is. No, it's not a mean thing to say. It's, it's somebody that is being a strong adherence to their calling in the Lord. You know, the Lord called me to teach, so I'm going to teach. The Lord called me to pastor, so I'm going to pastor. The Lord called me to evangelize, so I'm going to evangelize. And I don't want to leave what the Lord has called me to. That's the mentality of the apostles. And they just don't say, okay, so, you know, there's this need in the church, so, you know, they're you know, up the creek without a paddle. It's not like that at all. The exhortation is to say, choose from among yourselves seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit. Not full of themselves. Full of the Holy Spirit and have a strong witness. You know what that means? They have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then these seven men, one of them was Stephen who got killed. The martyr. One of them is Philip. Who do we see here? So you see the, the uh, 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 maturity of Philip. How he's growing. The Lord is growing him because 
what happened in chapter 8? Like in chapter 6, you see Philip serving in tables. And then in chapter in chapter 6, you see Philip serving in tables. And then in chapter 8, you see him evangelizing. Churches being born because of his evangelism. Ministry unto the eunuch. And so here he is. Still faithful to the Lord. Obedient unto the Lord. It's so beautiful when you see passages like this. Where there's like no mention of a guy, no mention of a gal. And then all of a sudden, it's like boom. You're like, wow, I remember this guy. I remember this girl. It's like, wow, you know what? She was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful to the Lord. And now look, the Lord is using him again. Still using him. And says, who was one of the seven and stayed with them. So they, they, they stayed in his house and Philip with Philip in Caesarea. In verse 9. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So you see, wow, you know, his family's with them. He's got his baby girls with them. He has four of them, four daughters. And they're not just, you know, average Janes. You know, they're not just the plain Jane, so to speak. He has four beautiful daughters, virgin daughters, and they're prophetesses. They, they had the gift of prophecy. That's so beautiful because you see, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. You see, the fruit of the Spirit unto Philip. And what happens? It pours into his home, his beautiful daughters. And now they're prophesying. They're prophet, prophetesses. And so look what happens here in verse 10. And we stayed many days. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. This is the same Agabus from chapter 11. Remember, we studied in chapter 11 and Agabus the prophet said that there was going to be a famine. And then he said, okay, you know, make provisions. Provisions for the churches so they can have sustenance during this famine. You see how the Lord prepared them for a future event through this prophet Agabus. You know, and I have to say today, there are people today who say, oh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for that dispensation. How the Holy Spirit moved in the book of Acts, that was for that dispensation. It's not for today. I don't believe that at all. No way. I don't believe that at all. When you read the Bible, you will see zero expiration date on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Zero. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that it's just for then. It's not for now. It's not for today. You know what you see today? Carnality in the church. You see abuses of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't even call it the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it started out that way. But then how it turns into something crazy. All you got to do is watch, you know, sometimes on Christian TV. And you see the abuses of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not a manifestation of holy things, manifestation of carnal things. You know, a guy pulls out a handkerchief from his pocket and then throws it on another guy. Throws it on a guy in a wheelchair and the guy in the wheelchair gets up and starts dancing. They're making a mockery. So while you see abuses today, a lot of times people see abuses and they say, okay, so that's... You know, that the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. So therefore, the Holy Spirit's dispensation was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. No, you can't do that. You're blaming the abuses of another person and you're putting restrictions on the Lord. Don't do that. There are people with the gift of prophecy today. 
there are people with the gift of prophecy. There are people with the gift of tongues today. But don't forget there's a greater gift, which is love. The gift of knowledge. There's a greater gift, which is love. Some people say they have the gift of prophecy, but they're not a prophet. Some people say they have the gift of tongues, but it's gibberish. You know, the Bible gives us clear and a clear outline, clear blueprints of the not only the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the proper usage of these gifts. Love being the greatest gift. So I'm fully aware that we see abuses today. But let that not have any bearing on whether or not you believe those gifts are available today. Because they are. They certainly are. And it's so beautiful what you see here. This prophet Agabus comes down from Judea. This is the same Agabus who we see in chapter 11. And look what happens in verse 11. It says, when, when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him, <clears throat> deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. You know what blows me away so much? This is the same as what we read in last week in chapter 20. Go to chapter 20 really quick in verse 22. And this is what is written. Paul is saying, saying to the elders, he says, And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city. I love this because, you know, <clears throat> up until this point, you see Paul going from city to city to city to city. And you see how the Lord is using him, but you never hear of what Paul, how the Holy Spirit is ministering to Paul until here in verse 23 of chapter 20. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, shackles and affliction await me. That's how the Holy Spirit has been speaking to Paul. And so now you see this uh, uh, prophecy of Agabus. Who says, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. You see, the same spirit is, has been ministering to Paul. The same spirit was speaking through the disciples in verse 4. It says, they told Paul through the spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So, you know, you look, Paul is going to Jerusalem. And you see, the spirit is saying, uh, 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 don't go to Jerusalem. Or it says, they told Paul through the spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And then here in verse 11, Agabus is saying that uh, 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 by, uh, uh, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who, who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. So what do you have here? You have the apostles. You have the evangelist, speaking of Philip. You have the prophet Agabus. You have the prophetesses, uh, uh, the daughters, the four daughters of uh, Philip. Then you have Paul's travel companions, of whom is included in that is Dr. Luke. Then you have the disciples in verse 4. And the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing. Hey, Jerusalem is a dangerous place. So dangerous that even the disciples in verse 4, they say, don't go up to Jerusalem. That's how dangerous Jerusalem is. 
Yes, Jerusalem is dangerous. Yes, Jerusalem is potentially harmful. And fear has a role to play. Because put yourself in this scenario. Take yourself, put yourself in a time machine and go to this scenario. And the Holy Spirit has been saying through the disciples in verse 4, don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus come meets you and says, you know, you're in this little entourage. And says, so the Jews at Jerusalem shall bind the man who owns the belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And you were also in Miletus when Paul was speaking to the elders and said, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. What would you do? What would be the counsel that you give to beautiful brother Paul? Would you say, Paul, don't go. It's dangerous. Don't go. As much as you love Paul, and maybe he birthed you in the faith. He's like a dad. What would you tell Paul? Paul, the Holy Spirit has been saying that chains and tribulations, the Holy Spirit has been saying, you know, that you're going to be bound. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's not, it's not bad per se because the love that you have for Paul. And when I say it's not bad per se, look at these beautiful people who are giving counsel to Paul. You have apostles, Dr. Luke is included. You have Philip the evangelist, his four uh, uh, virgin daughters. Speaking of their purity. You know, waiting for, you know, sex to, to get till they get married. Speaks very highly of their virtue. So these are, you know, it, it's so beautiful to see this. You have Agabus, the prophet. And you have these disciples that say, like, are they giving bad counsel? No. But you know what I love is you see Paul's obedience, even in the face of danger. And it reminds me of that of our Lord. Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ praying unto the Father? And he's, he's the one who says, Father, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. You see the heart of our Lord. Like, Look at the tribulation that was awaiting him. That he was well aware of. And he says, Father, take this cup from me. But then he continues and he says, but not my will, thy will. It's so beautiful when you read passages like this. Because you see the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ unto the Father. And then you see the obedience of Paul unto Jesus Christ. Maybe, you know, when he had his intimacy with the Lord. Lord, take this cup from me. But not my will, thy will. Do you remember when he like took a little, he went on foot. All the other, uh, his travel companions, they went on the boat. But he went on foot in chapter 20, uh, 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 verse uh, uh, 13. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. 
they're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he had met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. So he wasn't on the boat until in verse 14. What happened during that time frame when he walked on foot to meet the, the travel companions? What happened? Me personally, I believe there was very special intimacy with the Lord. Maybe special in terms of saying, Lord, take this cup from me. But not my will, thy will. All these beautiful godly people were saying, Paul, don't go. Don't go. Look at verse 12 in, in, in Acts 21. Verse 12 now when we heard these things, so in verse 4, disciples had said this. In, in verse 11, Agabus had said this. And Agabus was, you know, well received by the church. Just look at chapter 11. I mean, he, the Lord helped the church in preparation for the famine. He was a real prophet, not a fake prophet like you see today. A real prophet. He would prophesy something and it would come to pass. The Holy Spirit was speaking through him. And verse 12 says, Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. It's dangerous, Paul. In verse 13, Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I wonder... I wonder, like in verse 12, it says that they pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. But I wonder how long that took that conversation. Maybe it was an hour. Maybe it was three hours. Maybe all of them like said a little piece. Maybe each one of them spoke for 20 minutes. I don't know how long that took. Paul, don't go. Beautiful, beautiful people in the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing through them. That chains and tribulations await Paul. It's a dangerous place to go to. And Paul says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The council of many was saying, Paul, don't go. Paul, I'm going. I'm going. That's some hardcore stuff. Hardcore stuff. And so look what happens here in verse 14. So when he would not be persuaded, you get a little picture of his stubbornness, Paul's stubbornness in the Lord, which isn't a bad thing, you know. Paul's stubbornness in the Lord, it's a beautiful thing. You know, stu stubbornness, carnally speaking, in the world, from a worldly context, it's ugly. It's ugly. But in the Lord, it's beautiful. Stubbornness unto Jesus Christ. When all the world is saying, oh, come on, let's go to the club. Oh, come on, let's go get a drink. Oh, let's go party. Let's go do our crack. I got this, you know, the best marijuana from Chiapas, Mexico. Let's go to the strip club. Oh, it's ladies night tonight. Let's go clubbing. When all the world is going one way. And because of your stubbornness in Christ. 
obedience unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Nope. I love you. You're my friend, but I'm sorry. I'm not going to walk on that path. And you see a little bit of Paul's stubbornness. A beautiful stubbornness in a good way. And remember his intimacy. You know, in, in, when, when, in, in the previous chapter, when all the entourage, you know, his travel companions, they went on the boat and he walked. His intimacy with the Lord. And verse 14 says, when, we had, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. Dr. Luke included. They just stopped. Okay. We've tried. We've said our peace. Paul, we love you. We love you, Paul. You, it's, you know, I feel like you gave birth to me in my, in my walk with Christ. I feel like you, like I came out of your womb, you know, spiritually speaking, metaphysically speaking. You're like a dad to me. You're like, you know, my dad in Christ. And I'm urging you, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go, don't go, don't go. I love you so much. And Paul is saying, why? What, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? You see a picture of this, what's happening in this meeting. People crying. Paul, don't go. And then he says, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. When we, when he would, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. You know what I love so much about Paul? In these chapters that we're going to read, you see him exemplifying that a slave is not greater than his master. Bind that in your heart. Bind that in your heart. A slave is not greater than his master. Because you will be on the receiving end of persecution. You will be. Now there are, you know, mild forms of persecution, you know, small forms of persecution, and then there are major forms of persecution. I follow the persecuted church. I get news updates on the persecuted church. Certain feeds, kind of private, but certain feeds about the persecuted church. And when I say private, it's not private in a bad way. It's private because it's like classified information. And I was meaning, I mean, classified, like officially classified, but I mean classified because if word starts to spread, it can be dangerous for the churches in Vietnam, in Iran, in China, in North Korea, in Russia, Arab countries, all over the world. And now what we're starting to see is it's seeping into Western cultures, Western society. Iran is having some major, major persecution against the church. Major person where, you know, if it's, if you're like, if you get an email and has anything related to Jesus Christ, you have to delete it. And if you don't delete it, that you can be arrested for that. Major, major persecution. Pastors getting beaten and they find you, you're a pastor. They, they put you up on a big crane, tie a big rope around your neck and you have to, they push you off. I saw a picture of a pastor like that. Somebody from the crowd took a picture with his phone. And you know what's so beautiful? You see the pastor, and he's got the rope around his neck, and he's got this big old smile on his face. And his eyes were shut, and you can see the tears streaming. And he had this big old smile on his face, like, man, in, in less than 20 seconds, I'm going to be with Jesus Christ. He had this big old smile on his face. Pastor. 
who's not only, you know, ready to be bound, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Pastors in Vietnam. You know, they teach in the in the uh, jungle communities and not in like in the big cities. And they're in hiding. They have like underground churches. And they the police come, they arrest the pastor, they beat him up. And the pastor comes in you know, like a week later, two weeks later, and gives a sermon, except he's all beaten up, big old black eye, cuts on his cheek because he's been punched, skin ripped open, no teeth. One pastor had his, all his teeth were gone. I mean, you know how hard a hit you have to take to have no teeth? Maybe just one tooth missing? Imagine all the teeth missing. And the pastor, obedient to his calling, what does he do? He's teaching the word of God. And there's like an APB out for this pastor because among Christians, because he's gone, he's missing. People say maybe he got captured again and now he's dead. They killed him, but nobody knows. Pray for the persecuted church. Uganda, Uganda, what's happening in Nigeria? There was a pastor who was drowned. You know, he was teaching and you know he was an evangelist, but also a pastor. And then, you know, all of a sudden he was caught by the locals and they threatened him and he kept doing it. And so they drowned him, left his body on display there. What a message that sends to the church. If you want to believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to end up like this guy. What a message to the church. These are people who are not who are ready not only to be bound, but also to die. Paul says at Jerusalem, but what about in Iran? What about in Uganda? What about in Kenya? What about in in Nigeria? What about in Vietnam? What about in China, North Korea, Russia? Pray for the persecuted church. These are things that are happening today. You know what the problem is here? In Western culture, we're trapped in this bubble. I'm thankful for the bubble because, you know, we have certain freedoms and liberties in this country. I, I teach from America. You might be listening from, you know, who knows, wherever you are in the world. But if you're under persecution, I want you to know this. We pray for you. We pray hardcore for you. And we love you. And be of good cheer. Because this place isn't our home. This place is not our home. We're just passing by. Passing by onto perfection and onto paradise. We pray for you. If you're in the persecuted church, if I'm, you hear me describing these scenarios and you're like, wow, that's just like where I live in Uganda. That's just like where I live in Iran. That's just like where I live in China. And you have to listen in secret. Be of good cheer. We pray for you. We pray hardcore for you. And they just say, the will of the Lord be done. They couldn't persuade Paul. Paul, stay here. Let's not go to Jerusalem. Let's turn around. Let's go back up to Tyre. Let's go see those disciples and their families. Let's go back to Miletus. And you see Paul's obedience. And you know what's, what blows me away here? Historically, about six to seven years from this point, you know what happens? 
Paul gets killed. He gets his head chopped off by the Romans under the command of Nero. He gets his head chopped off, beheaded. The other apostles, historically, killed. In the church, a lot of persecution is starting to happen. The, the cost of being a Christian at this particular juncture, it's getting more intense. The heat is being turned up. Where, you know, if we were in a time machine and we were to go back, you know, you have to be in at a certain time. You know, I don't know what time. I'm just, for example, like say 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. You have to be indoors because if you're out, you know, out, you know, you get caught by a Roman soldier, they put a knife to your throat. Who is Lord? You say, Caesar is Lord. You get to go home, be with your families, have dinner that night. Or if you stand for Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus is Lord, then boom, they push the knife right into your throat, dead. Or they put you, you know, they do like games with you. They put you in the games to be eaten by lions. What they do, did to the women, what they did to the females, young girls and women, what they did to the pregnant women, I can't even say. It's so grotesque. I can't even say. Our brothers and sisters in Christ of another generation in times past. Hardcore persecution. And you know what else blows me away? At this particular junction, the book of Romans has already been written, sent to the church in Rome as an admonition, as an encouragement, as exhortation. I make specific mention of that for a reason. What is written in the book of Romans? Obedience to government. A government that was persecuting the church. It shows a picture of the times. Because what happens about 12 years from this juncture? Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple destroyed. 70 AD. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was walking with the disciples? They weren't apostles yet. They were disciples. Learners. They were learners before they became messengers. You know, disciples before apostle. Take that to heart. A lot of times people want to be a, a messenger, but they haven't even been a disciple. They want to be used of the Lord without having been filled by the Lord. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way the holy equation works. You need to be filled by the Lord first. Be a student first. I mean, if I wanted to be a brain surgeon, do I just walk into an operating room and start operating on somebody's brain? No, I'm going to kill somebody. I have to go to school first. And then after I'm done with school, then I can start operating or, you know, residency you know, and all that and then start operating. The same thing applies with our walk with the Lord. Be a disciple. And then the Lord's going to call you to whatever ministry. The manifold grace of God. There's manifold ministries of the Lord. How He wants to use you. You need to allow Him to use you. But first allow Him to fill you. And teach you. From His Word. It just blows me away so much. Because the book of Romans is already written. Major, the, the, the persecution against the church is intensifying more and more. It's getting hardcore. 
and then Acts 21. In between Acts 20 and 21 is the book of Romans. Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome. And seven years, six or seven years after this, Paul's going to have be beheaded for the name of Jesus Christ. What a hardcore witness. And you know what I love about is that, you know, you, you see his obedience unto the Lord, but then, you know, in, in his death, don't forget that when you look at the New Testament, the majority of books are written by Paul. The majority of books in the New Testament are written by Paul. And he's like, man, you know, he, he gets killed. You know, yes, he gets killed in this life. And like, you know, he gets beheaded. But then you start to wonder, he's been dead for a while already. He's been dead for a while already. Dead to self and alive in Christ. When you put these truths in perspective, you start to understand his perspective when he starts writing, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And you see, Paul, what we're about to see here, you're going to see injustice. Because it's not fair what happens to Paul. But you know what you're not going to see? You're not going to see him fighting against government. You're not going to see him, you know, just going to the police station and destroying windows. You're not going to see him fighting against injustice. You're going to see his obedience unto the Lord, even when injustice cost him his life and his freedom. Don't forget, you know, it is written in Micah, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. <clears throat> he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. An Old Testament example of abiding in Christ. In Isaiah 1, verse 17, Seek justice and rebuke the oppressor. Seek justice and rebuke the oppressor. These are biblical truths. But then at the same time, when we apply these biblical truths in our lives, it must also coincide with obedience unto the Lord. And what is obedience unto the Lord? You know, Galatians 5 shows us the fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh. In Galatians 5, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you say, wow, you know, the Bible tells me that I got to uh, 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 um, uh, seek justice and rebuke the oppressor. Okay, that's a biblical truth. But it is also written, don't be a murderer. Don't have any jealousies, hatred, outbursts of wrath. There's this social gospel that's, you know, it's running wild in the church today. A social gospel going, spreading like wildfire. It's demonic. It's demonic because Satan is going to burn in hell and he wants to take you with him. Oh yeah, the Bible says that I have to seek justice and rebuke the oppressor. 
So therefore, I'm going to do and then fill in the blank. But in the act of doing those things, if it's causing you to you know, have hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Say, what do you mean heresies? The social gospel. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm just the messenger. Read Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And what I love about Paul, beautiful, beautiful, selfless Paul, who's not only ready to be bound, but also ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he's faced with injustice, what does he do? What does he not do? Remember, the book of Romans is already written, so Romans 13 is already exhorted to the church in Rome. He himself, Paul himself, submits himself to the governing authorities. You know what that means? He's not a hypocrite. He walks the walk. Not a hypocrite. Even when it costs him his life. And his freedom. And his head. Let's look at what happens here. In verse 15. And after those days we packed up and went to Jerusalem. Remember the prior council. Everybody's saying Paul don't go. And Jerusalem indeed has frightening aspects. And here they are packing up. Heading to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasin. I don't know if the M is silent, but I'll just say Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. So Paul's companions, they're growing in number. That's what I love about his leadership in the church. Imagine if Paul was like, you know, okay, guys, you're right. Let's go back to Miletus. Okay, guys, you're right. Let's go back to, you know, Ephesus. No. His obedience unto the Lord, it's not only palpable, it's not only evident, it's contagious. It's contagious. And you see, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree of Paul. And so, look what happens here. And when we had come over to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So, me personally, I believe they did make it to Jerusalem before Pentecost. You say, what do you mean? Well, remember the previous chapter in Acts chapter 20, verse 16, says that uh, he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And so, you look at chapter 20, verse uh, 6. It says, we sailed from Philippi. After the days of unleavened bread and in five days, join them at Troas where we stayed seven days. And just the fact that it's the, 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 after the days of unleavened bread, you know that it's around Passover time. And remember, you have to count 50 days from, uh, 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 50 days from Passover for Pentecost. That's what Pentecost means, 50th day after Passover. And then you start to count these days. Like verse 6 says, you know, five days. And then verse 6 also says seven days. And then you read all these passages and you add it all up. It totals about 38 days, you know, 34 to, 
there's some variables there. You say, what, what do you mean variables? Well, the variable is in uh, verse 10 of chapter uh, chapter 21, verse 10. It says, and, and we stayed there many days. So many days could be 10 days, could be 15 days. So there's a little variable. So it could be, you know, 40 days before they got to Jerusalem, maybe, you know, shorter, maybe a little bit longer. But me personally, I believe that the objective was meant to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost. <clears throat> and so in verse 18, <clears throat> on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. So this is, you know, in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, you have this meeting with the pastor and elders. You know, James and then the elders of the church in Jerusalem. And Paul with his, his growing number of travel companions, they're there in this council. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles. So there's a lot of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. The majority of the, 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 the church in Jerusalem, the majority, they're Jewish, Messianic Jews. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then it says that, that, that he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you. So word was spreading about Paul. Remember what Paul was doing in Macedonia, in Philippi, in Corinth, in Thyatira, in all these regions, we've been following him. Cyprus. But remember how the Jews would, you know, he would go to the synagogue. Remember, that was his custom to go to the synagogue. And to the Jew first, he would give the gospel. And he was not well received. He was well received among the Gentiles. The Greeks. But among the Jews, they started to hate him. And in some cases, in some towns, they would follow him causing a ruckus in one town, leaving him for dead. They thought he was dead. Have you ever seen somebody beat up so bad that he looks like he's dead? Then you have to look really close and you can see like his chest is moving up. It's like, okay, he's not dead. That's how Paul was. That's how Paul was. Word was spreading about Paul in verse 21. But they have been informed about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Paul's taught no such thing. This was all the rumor mill. Word was spreading. What was the rumor? Oh, Paul is going against the teachings of Moses. No, he's not going against the teaching of Moses. Look really quick to John chapter 5. Let's go to John chapter 5 really quick. <clears throat> you remember in John 5, like the Pharisees, they, they're talking to the Lord Jesus and they're like, we're hardcore. We're of Moses. We follow the teachings of Moses. We're of the law. And in John 5, verse 39, the Lord tells them this. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. That's kind of an odd thing to say. You search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life. Now, no, no disrespect to the Lord. When I say it's an odd thing to say, because as Christians... We know that this, the word of the Lord is life, eternal life. But the Lord, it's much deeper. He knows the hearts. 
He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. That's the difference. When you read the Bible as literature, it doesn't work that way. It's spiritually discerned. Sometimes people read the Bible as literature or, you know, they, they try to read the Bible as, from a mocking standpoint to try to disprove the Bible. They search the scriptures. They're doing something good, right? No, when you search the scriptures, you have to be willing to come to Christ. It's like night and day. I mean, when you read the Bible, I used to do that. I read the Bible, I was like super carnal. Read the Bible and I would forget everything. Because I was unwilling to come to Christ, unwilling to yield to Him, unwilling to obey Him. And then when I started obeying Him, I had to repent. And then when I started to obey Him, this is like 20 some years ago, give or take a couple years. I started to obey Him and all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit just blew me away. In a good way. He blew me away because I could understand, I could comprehend. And you know what I was doing? I was doing what the Lord says right here. I came to him. I, before, I was not willing to come to him. And then I started to read again in obedience. And the Lord changed my life. He says this in verse 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, in whom you trust. Remember? Like, oh, we're hardcore. We're of the law. We believe Moses. Father Moses. And he says, there is one who accuses you. Moses, the giver of the law. The supposed giver of the law. But when you read Exodus, Leviticus, when you read Deuteronomy, it's the Lord who gave the law. He's just a messenger. Just a messenger. No disrespect to Moses, but he is still just a messenger. You read Hebrews. What does the Bible say? He's a servant in the house of God. The same way you and I are servants in the house of God. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? How will you believe my words if you're not going to believe Moses? These are the people, the Pharisees, they were hardcore pro-Moses. And the Lord is telling them, straight up, red letters. You don't even believe his writings. Because Moses wrote about me. That's some hardcore stuff. They wanted to kill Jesus. And they did kill Jesus. And he rose again. So let's go back to Acts 21 now. In verse 21 says, uh, these, uh, 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 these Jews, they're zealous for the law. They have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. There's no forsaking of Moses. Moses wrote about Jesus Christ. Who does Paul exhort? Who does Paul teach about and exhort others to believe in? In giving the gospel. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law saying that they ought not to circumcise their, their church children nor to walk according to their customs. What then? What then? 
the assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. James and the elders, Pastor James and the elders in Jerusalem, they're telling Paul, they're going to meet Paul. And they're going to hear that you're in town. Word's going to spread that you're in town. And here's the counsel they give. Therefore, do what we tell you. Here's their counsel. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing. You know what they're telling him? They're saying, "Paul, by doing this, you're going to you're going to prove to them that what they heard about you is wrong. They were informed incorrectly. Very interesting because you know what this means? Somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody was spreading false witness. Somebody was bearing false witness. I don't know who it was, but somebody was bearing false witness, which is against the law that these people stand on. Very interesting. A little example of hypocrisy. He says that they may know that those things which are, which which they were informed concerning you, Paul, it's nothing. They're nothing. It's a fabrication. But that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. This is, you know, counsel that is given to Paul. Now, is it counsel for all Christians? Are we supposed to keep the law? No way. We're going to study that more hardcore when we get into Romans. Are we to keep the law? No. You have to understand Paul's goal. Understand Paul's goal. What do I mean? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Verse 19, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. See, total freedom, total liberty, except no, he's an ambassador in chains. What are his chains? You know, unto Jesus Christ, but in so doing, a servant to all, that I might win, win the more. That's the objective, to win souls. For people to come to Jesus Christ. In verse 20. And to the Jews I became as a Jew. That I might win Jews. To those who are under the law. As under the law. That I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law. As without the law. And then he puts. I love his little parentheses. Not being without the law toward God. But under the law toward Christ. Who is the fulfillment of the law. Why? that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. All things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. You see? All these things, these sacrifices that Paul makes for the sake of the gospel in, the, in obedience to Jesus Christ. 
that I may be a partaker of it with you. You know what I love? You see the inclusion of the readers in Corinth. You know what I say? The inclusion of you. That he may be a partaker of it with you. Because Paul's letters, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul, in obedience, was, you know, all these things was inspired by the Spirit. And the Lord is ministering to us today. How beautiful, how timeless the Word of God is. And so, let's go back to Acts 21. Acts 21. In verse 25. He says, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, these are people without the law, just like what we read in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Is But concerning the Gentiles who believe, these are people without the law, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. We studied this in great depth in chapter 15. Chapter 15. Then Paul, he took the counsel. Beautiful, beautiful Paul. Then Paul took the men. And the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. These are things that we're going to study in depth when we get into uh, further passages in Leviticus, and it, but all, mostly in Numbers. And we're going to see these things. They're, they're, they're performing the, the works of the law. Does that mean that we should do it? No. Understand the objective, like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. The purpose is to win people, win souls. And so it says here in verse 27, Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, remember in previous chapters when we studied how the Jews would follow Paul? Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, would go into a new town and then like the next day or maybe the same day, the Jews would come along and they would cause a riot. They would cause mayhem. Now it's the same thing in Jerusalem. Seeing him in the temple. So Paul is identified. Hey, that's the guy. That's the Paul that we followed. Remember him? You know, in, 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 over here in this area. Remember him over here and what we did. Let's do it again over here. And what do they do? It says that they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. This is like in a violent way. This isn't like praying for him. No, this isn't a violent. They seize him. Stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! Exclamation point. Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches. They, they got him in their hands. They laid hands on him. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Remember, there's four guys with Paul. They're, they're, they're Jews, but they're Messianic Jews. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're Christians. Christians. And the Jews from Asia, what are they doing? They're bearing false witness. They're the ones that are saying, he brought in these Greeks to the temple. No, he didn't. They're Jewish. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're Christians. 
but they're still Jewish. They're bearing false witness. Which is against the law on which they stand, the law of Moses. But if they really stood on the law of Moses, they would believe Jesus Christ. Because Moses wrote about Jesus Christ. Just like what we read in John 5. Moses wrote about me. And what are they doing? Breaking the law. Bearing false witness. Look at verse 29. For they had previously seen Trophimus, in, uh, Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So they made an assumption. That's the first problem. They made an assumption. You know what the second problem was? They regarded their assumption as fact. A lot of times you see people, they make assumptions. And they regard it as fact and assumption. Don't be like that. And look what happens here in verse 30. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. The doors were shut. Remember the previous chapter? Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul is having intimacy with the elders of Ephesus in Miletus. And in verse 22 of chapter 20, he says this, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except, except, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. And now, what we're seeing here in Acts 21, verse 30 you're starting to see things boil to the point of it's starting to happen. Fulfillment of how the Holy Spirit has been ministering to him. Fulfillment of what the Holy Spirit was saying to the disciples in verse 4. Fulfillment of what the Holy Spirit was saying through the prophet Agabus in verse 11. And so look what happens here. In verse 31, now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison. This translates to commander. It's a commander of a thousand men. So it's not a centurion. It's higher in command. So not like a captain. It translates also as like a colonel, militarily speaking, a commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So, you know, like meanwhile, you know, all, all the meanwhiles like we mentioned before, meanwhile, this Colonel, so to speak, this commander caught wind. Whoa, something's going on. There's an uproar in Jerusalem. Look what he does in verse 32. He, he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander, this is the Jews now. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. For beating here, it trend, it's, it's not just a beating. It's more a violent form of beating. It's a pummeling. Repeated blows with fists, with hammers, and with sticks. That's how it translates. It was just a total pummeling of beautiful brother Paul. The commander, you know, he comes down with this garrison, or with this, you know, a bunch of soldiers and centurions. And then the Jews, they saw him coming with the soldiers, and then they stopped beating Paul. They stopped pummeling Paul. Beating him, whether it was with closed fists 
open fist or whether it was with a hammer, whether a stick or another object, they were just beating on Paul. In verse 33, then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, immediate fulfillment of what the Holy Spirit has been ministering to Paul. Here you have Paul. He's in Jerusalem. He's beaten. He's bound and he's chained up. Fulfillment. You know, so many people I talk to, they want fulfillment in their lives. Well, fulfillment of what? Fulfillment of, you know, what you perceive as good? People say, oh, I want the blessings of the Lord. Yes, I want the blessings of the Lord. I want it for you too. I want all of us to have the blessings of the Lord. But what about if we have a cup of trembling to drink of? Will you still be obedient? Will you still be obedient? Don't forget that in... Uh, let me... Let me turn to a passage. Everybody knows this verse. In Jeremiah 29... Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, everybody knows that verse. It's popular. It's on coffee cups. It's on magnets. It's on bumper stickers. It's everywhere. It's a famous verse. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Wow, this is so beautiful. And it is a beautiful verse. I love it. But don't forget that when this verse is given, Judah has to spend 70 years in Babylonian captivity. During that 70 years of Babylonian captivity, will this verse still ring true? Picture that. If you hear this verse... You're with Jeremiah. Everybody's making fun of him. Calling him, you know, names, false teacher, false prophet. Oh, you know what? You know, God is for us. We're of the elect. God wants to bless us. And the Babylonians, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. He's threatening us. You know, let's go fight him. Let's go fight against this opposing force. And the whole time the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah, Jeremiah... Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. He's my vessel. He's my tool of chastisement upon Judah. Just like, just like Jeremiah, Paul is a lonely prophet. So what if you're here? You hear Jeremiah. You just happen to be standing there and you hear Jeremiah. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And then one year later, boom, you're in Babylonian captivity. You're young. All the old people, you know, uh, older people, they're killed. Military killed. The old, like old, old people, seniors, they're just left there because, you know, Babylonians, they were just like, okay, if we're going to take people, we're going to take the young people. The old people, we'll just let them here. Let them stay here. 
Let's say you're year one in Babylonian captivity. Will this verse still bring you comfort after Judah has been destroyed? What about year two in Babylonian captivity? The 10th year. Will this verse still ring true? You're in 10 years in Babylonian captivity. The might of Judah, gone, destroyed, people killed. And you're 10 years in captivity and you remember this verse. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And you're 20 years in captivity. Will your heart still stay faithful to the Lord? Or will you be like, man, what a farce. This isn't hope. This isn't peace. You know, I don't, I don't have peace. Look at us. Or the 30th year, the 50th year. Will this verse still bring you comfort? What about the 69th year? Will this verse still bring you comfort? You're an old man now. An old woman now. And finally, the 70th year. Nehemiah, Ezra, all these people, they get together and they go to Jerusalem and they start rebuilding Jerusalem. And now who knows how old you are. Say you're 85 years old now. You were taken, say you're 82 years old. You were taken captive when you were a little kid, like a fresh baby or maybe you're like, you know, I don't know, 85. But you're old. You move slowly. You're not young anymore. And then you're in Jerusalem again. And you see it's being rebuilt. And then you remember verse 11. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Will you find comfort in this verse? So many times, you know, we read these verses and we're like, oh yeah, I love that. I want that for myself. It's not a bad thing. But you know what? Hardcore obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sometimes there's heavy cups to drink of. Sometimes there's very uh, troublesome cups to drink of. Such as Judah. Such as Paul. Such as Peter such as Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. Father, take this cup from me. But not my will. Thy will, Lord. You see? Some hardcore stuff. Look at the cup that beautiful brother Paul is drinking of. In verse... 33... Going back to Acts 21, verse 33. Then the commander came near and took him. Remember, he, they just got, they're, they're beating Paul. They, they wouldn't have stopped beating Paul. But they were afraid because the commander came. The commander and the soldiers came. And then they stopped beating Paul. They stopped pummeling Paul. They stopped giving him repeated blows with fists, hammers, and sticks onto Paul. Then the commander came in verse 33. Commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. Instant fulfillment of what the Holy Spirit was telling to Paul. And he asked who he was and what had to be done and what he had done. 
So remember, all this this guy is seeing, the, 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 this commander, this captain or colonel, all that he's seeing, you know, he, he just saw Paul being beaten. And he's like, okay, what has he done? In verse 34, and some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. You know, it would have been nice if Paul was able to speak. If he said, okay, what has this guy done? And then Paul was like, you know, sir, let me tell you. But no, the multitude started to speak. All from false witness. Breaking the law. A people of the law, breaking the law. Remember, in verse 29, they supposed, they supposed that he brought a Greek, that he brought Trophimus, the Ephesian, into the temple. Didn't even happen. It was an assumption that they regarded as fact. Now look. Now look. Verse 34. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. So the commander's like, okay, let's get him out of here, guys. When he had reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. So maybe Paul was going too slow. They pick up Paul and they say, okay, let's go over here. But he's going too slow. Who knows how hardcore the beatdown was? I mean, if you take a bat to the leg, you think you're going to walk? If you take a bat to the kneecap, you think you're going to walk? Maybe you can walk, but it's going to be super slow. What about to the head? And so they had to carry him. They had to carry Paul. Because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after crying out, away with him. They followed. So they're taking Paul. They pick him up. And you know what? They're being followed by the crowd. Away with him. And it's all a fabrication. Verse 28 says, this is the man. They said, men of Israel, help. Men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this, and this, and this place. Speaking about the temple. This is what he teaches. That's his crime. Teaching. He's a teacher. He's not a criminal. He's not, you know, going out murdering people. He was before he came to Christ. He was beating people before he came to Christ. And then the Lord changed his heart. Now he's a vessel of the Lord. A teacher of beautiful godly things, holy things, holy scripture, the good news, the gospel, all in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the man who teaches. He teaches everybody against the people, the law, and this place. Paul is causing division. Help us, you guys. This guy is bad news. That's the accusation. It's all a fabrication. And they say, away with him. Then, as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? This is the commander speaking now. Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? So, mistaken identity. Remember, the commander didn't know who Paul was. He had no idea. In, 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 in verse 33 says he asked who he was and what he had done. He had no idea who this guy was. I mean, speaking of Paul. But you know what? He, made, he assumed 
You know, are, are you not the, the, you know, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? He had his own assumptions, except you know what? He's asking Paul, who are you? A little side note. There is at this particular juncture an uprising of zealots, Jewish zealots who are very, very, very anti-Rome. Very, very anti-Rome. And it's a lot of it deals with taxation. You know, no taxation without representation type of stuff. And to the point where it became a problem for Rome, a political problem with Rome. And about 12 years later, it becomes such a hardcore conflict among these zealots unto Rome, and Rome that it, 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 they, it, it, they, the Romans come against uh, Jerusalem. About 12 years later, the temple is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. So the cost of being a Christian, it gets heavier and heavier and more intense because you're under the thumb of Jews and under the thumb of Rome. But the what's happening geopolitically around Rome and you know Jerusalem, it's getting heavy. It's getting hot and heavy. And it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. You know what I see when things get hotter and hotter and hotter? Refining. Refinement. This is the cup that Paul has to drink of. This cup of trembling. In verse 39, But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Paul, before his accusers, before all these Jewish people, and he wants to speak to them. Not to rebuke them, not to say like, you guys are a bunch of bombs, you guys are a bunch of dummies, you did this to me. No, he doesn't do that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9, really quick. Romans chapter 9. Verse 1, this is Paul. He already wrote this letter, you know, between Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 21 is the book of Romans. He wrote the letter to the church in Rome. And this is what he reveals. In verse 1 of chapter 9, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness, bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Intense sorrow is how it translates. And continual means it's nonstop and permanent. Intense sorrow and nonstop and permanent grief in my heart. This is beautiful, Brother Paul. You say, why, Paul? Paul, why do you have this intense sorrow? Paul, why do you have this constant and permanent grief in your heart? Why, Paul? Verse 3. For I could wish that, my, that I myself were accursed from Christ. Whoa, Paul. Whatever it is that's causing you this intense sorrow and nonstop and permanent grief, it's so much so that you even wish that you could be anathema, banned, accursed from Jesus Christ. Yes, that's what he's writing. His words. Why? For my brethren. My countrymen. My kin is how it translates. Like a uh, uh, relative. My kin, my brethren, according to the flesh. That's Paul's heart. That's why his custom was go to, to go to the synagogue. To the Jew first. That's how much he loved his countrymen, the Jewish people. 
to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That was the source of his great sorrow, his intense sorrow, his continual grief, his nonstop and permanent grief. So much so that he wishes he could be anathema, separated from Jesus Christ himself for the sake on account of his brethren, the Jewish people. You see the heart of Paul. I shouldn't say the heart of Paul. The heart of Christ. Because the Lord gave him a new heart, a new spirit, a new mind. And so going back to Acts 21, Paul tells the, the commander, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. The people that just beat him, remember. Pummeled him. Repeated blows with fists, hammer, and sticks. They beat him. And he says, let me speak to the people. So, when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, and this is the end of our study. You're like, you know, it's like, well, this is quite the ending of the chapter. Yes, but there's going to be a lot more. He spoke with them in the Hebrew language. Wow, you remember the commander asked him, do you speak Greek? Can you speak Greek? And yes, Paul could speak Greek. And so now he switches it up, goes Hebrew. Goes Hebrew on his Hebrew brethren. Because he loves them. Even though they beat him. You see a picture of Paul's submission unto the authorities, unto the government, just as what he wrote to the church in Rome in you know, especially in, in Romans 13, he wrote a letter to the church to be, submit yourself, be obedient to government. At a time when government, it was getting hot and heavy for Christians. And he himself, you see a picture of him submitting himself to government in submission to Jesus Christ and also in submission to his calling. All of it in obedience to his master, Jesus Christ. A slave is not greater than his master. Thus rings true the words of our Lord. A slave is not greater than his master. A slave is not greater than her master. Look at verse 22 really quick. Chapter 22, verse 22. I know we're, we're going to touch this next week, Lord willing. But look at verse 22 of the next chapter. He says a little dissertation when, you know, by the Lord's grace, by uh, God's favor, he's allowed to speak to them and he does speak with them, which we're going to study in depth next week. But in verse 22, this is the people's response. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. He is not fit to live. They did the same thing with Jesus Christ, our Lord. The same thing with Stephen. The same thing with the apostles. With Peter. All these people. And yet, obedient unto Jesus Christ. Paul. Never do you see him coming against the government. Just as he exhorted the church. 
in his letter to Rome. You know what that means? He's not a hypocrite. He's walking the walk. Even when it cost him his life. When he did stand on his rights, you know, he, could, he had rights. When he claimed his rights as a Roman citizen, it wasn't better for him. It wasn't to his advantage. It, it makes it worse for him in this world. It makes it worse. Imprisonment. But to live is Christ, to die is gain. And several years from that moment, I mean, we're, we're talking about a six, six to seven year window here. Before his head and his body are two separate things. Apart. Cut off. Complete and total obedience to Jesus Christ, his master. He's an ambassador in chains. He's a slave to Jesus Christ, a bondservant unto Jesus Christ. And he's not greater than his master, who also drank of a cup. Who also said, Father, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, Lord. Thy will, my Lord. Remember what Paul says to the church, to, the, to the, his, little, uh, his companions in verse 13? What do you mean by weeping? And breaking my heart, you guys. For I am ready not only to be bound, but also die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. We're going to end our study here and pick up next week, Lord willing, in chapter 22. God bless you guys. Love you guys.